Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal women and those who love you. Yes, you, mothers, daughters, grand and great-grandmothers, fearsome and generous, humble and honest, in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. For those of you joining us for the first time, each month we explore a new theme inspired by you. Yeah, I said you. Together we bravely walk into places where tradition has taught us there are things we just don't talk about, but not at this table. No matter how hard judgment knocks, it will never get in. Beloved ladies, here we live beyond the wreckage. This month's theme is This Is Us. It's all about who we are, what we believe, what drives us, what causes us to fall, what brings us joy. Every week we will meet here for one hour to experience encourage and empower each other we're going to share some aha moments and some stories that have been kept in our pockets for way too long now every week we're going to start right where we are although many of your voices will speak light into the darkness there is no insignificant person around this table each show is going to have three segments the beginning the middle and the end the middle is when we have our brave, fearsome volunteer from around the table to sit in the interview seat. Yeah, that's when the fun really begins. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we're webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org. If you have competing priorities, don't worry about it. You can catch up with us on our YouTube channel, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to acknowledge once again the composer and performer of our theme, Mr. Courtney Nero. Courtney knew I was trying to make my dream come true, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. He surprised me with my own personal theme song, and this is it. Does it make you feel like dancing? I call it Amazing Awesome Sauce, and he named it I'm Listening. Thank you, Courtney. I like to create a virtual common space for us to inhabit during our time together. This week, we're going to talk about saying yes to the power within us. We have three stories from three phenomenal women from three generations. But we're going to look beyond their words, and we're going to see evidence of them saying yes as we watch their lives unfold unfold and speak they're going to remind you that nothing just happens life is a process it is not an event two of the women's gift will be shared through their legacies and their memories the third is sitting in the studio right here with me all three voices share the fact that real change happens on a level of gesture if one person doing one thing differently he or she than he or she has done before They'll remind you that nothing just happens. After the break, you will hear one of our first stories. Now you stay close. Born Marguerite Johnson, Dr. Maya Angelou was raised by her mother, Lady Vivian Baxter, a self-possessed, successful entrepreneur and businesswoman who owned a hotel and wore diamonds in her ears. Unmarried, Marguerite was pregnant when she finished high school in the summer of 1945. 
Her son was born in September, and she decided to leave home two months later. Leaving the comfort of her mother's big house, which had lived in help, was characteristic of Dr. Angelou's courage and fierce sense of independence. She's gone on to embrace and excel at a dizzying array of disciplines. She speaks French, Italian, Spanish, and West African Fanti. She has danced on stage, composed music. She's written plays, directed and acted in movies. In 1960, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. asked her to become the Northern Coordinator for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And in 1993, President-elect Bill Clinton requested that she write a poem for his inauguration. Dr. Angelou has written six autobiographies, including the best-selling novel, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. It was published by Random House in 1969. She's written three children's books, six plays, and two screenplays, numerous books of poetry and other books, Just Give Me a Cool Drink of Water Before I Die, a collection of her poetry earned a Pulitzer Prize nomination in 1971. In 1981, she was appointed to a lifetime post as Reynolds Professor of American Studies at Wake Forest University. This avalanche of achievement could not seem more improbable on the day the 17-year-old Marguerite left her mother's house with two-month-old son in her arms. She had found a job a room with cooking privileges down the hall, and a lady who would babysit. Now, fast forward. Here is what Dr. Angelou, 78, would say to her younger self. Dear Marguerite, you're itching to be on your own. You don't want anybody telling you what time you have to be in at night or how to raise your baby. You're going to leave your mother's big, comfortable house, and she won't stop you because she knows you too well. But listen to what she says. When you walk out of my door, don't let nobody raise you. You've been raised. You know right from wrong. In every relationship you make, you have to show readiness to adjust and make adaptations. Remember, you can always come home. You will go home again when the world knocks you down or when you fall down in full view of the world, but only for two or three weeks at a time. Your mother will pamper you and feed you your favorite meal of red beans and rice. You may practice going home so she can liberate you again. One of the greatest gifts, along with the nurturing of your courage, that she will give you. Be courageous, but not foolhardedly. Walk proud as you are. And for those of you who listen, I first met Maya Angelou in 1978. She was having her birthday party at a charter school named after her. I stood in line forever, as you can imagine how many people were there, to say happy birthday and to remind her of a time we had met 30 years before. When I reached out my hand and began to say happy birthday, Maya, she said, oh, yes, and how is your president? And she called her by name. And I thought, this is 30 years later. 
She is truly a phenomenal woman. Woman. That's one of the gifts she gave. But please understand that Maya Angelou had a long journey to get to that point of worthiness. If you get a chance, read her autobiography. It will encourage you and empower you. We'll, we'll have another chance to connect with her at the end of our program. For now, for now, I want you to meet the lady in the studio. One of um, my dear friends, actually. I asked her months ago, hey, I'm working on this project. Please, 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 will you come and do something special for us? So my second phenomenal woman today is in the studio, Ms. Denise Spain. And uh, I'd like her to tell you a little bit about who she is. Hi, Tyra. Hi. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, you know, most stories start at the beginning. Mine started in Detroit, Michigan. I was the uh, surprise baby after a brother, older brother and sister. I actually grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, in a very segregated area, and at one point was charged with integrating the sixth grade of an all-white high, of all-white school. It was um, it was difficult for a young child. I enjoyed music. I thought I was going to be a musician early on. I played clarinet and oboe, and I tried the flute, and um, I actually was a baton twirler. I used to speak Spanish and French quite well, but unfortunately the years have passed and I haven't had much opportunity to practice. Hola. Hola. (laughs) Bonjour. (laughs) I graduated from the University of Tennessee as a history major, and you'll hear more about that later uh, because history was and still is my first love. But then I made this right turn and went to law school instead of an advanced degree in history. I went to Notre Dame Law School, And when I graduated, I knew I wanted to work in civil rights, human rights. I spent a little time uh, in criminal law and worked as an attorney with legal aid. But then I realized I really wanted to get back into civil rights, human rights. I went to work for the Tennessee Valley Authority for a number of years. And I actually was the director of the Human Rights Office here in Alexandria for another uh, group of years. I have to say, in between those two particular positions, I held the most difficult position I've had before or since, and that was as a mother. Mm. I stayed home with my three, Ethan, Camille, and Jessica, for eight years, and I did not go back into work until Jessica actually started first grade. That was the hardest job of all the jobs I've ever had. (laughs) I loved it, but it was hard. I uh, actually ended my career, my professional career, as a senior executive with the Internal Revenue Service. Believe it or not, Tyra, I've been retired for five years. I don't believe it. I've been reti- I'll be retired for five years I- this December. And I tell you, my retirement has been wonderful because I've gotten to work in some of the things I love the most. I'm an orchid grower, as you know. Yes. And my other love is, of course, history, as I said before. And I have the privilege, the distinct privilege, of being a docent at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. I mentioned my three children, but I didn't mention my my wonderful husband, Vincent. We have been married, uh, as of next week, 34 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Doesn't usually happen like that anymore. (laughs) No, it doesn't. I feel so very blessed. He is a wonderful, wonderful man. 
And we have a couple of little guys, uh, four-legged little guys running around <laughs> the house. Um, Matthew the cat. and I don't believe that. Yes. Yeah, I know. You never see him when he right. comes. Yeah, he always runs away. And Thomas, uh, my 12-year-old beagle. Now, Thomas has a peculiar uh, ha- habit every day. He can tell time, and he knows when it's 3.30. Mm-hmm. No matter what I'm doing, he'll start circling around me, putting his paws on me, and letting me know that it is 3.30, and it's time for the reading hour. I have to get in my comfortable chair, get a book, to allow him to crawl up in my lap and take his afternoon nap. So that is uh, my life, my wonderful, privileged, blessed life, I'll say. Absolute blessed. And I'm just glad to be here today. I am so glad we are finally doing this. We've talked about it. Yes. And um, you remind me that there are a million ways that we can circle around ourselves to grow and change and be okay. And I want today to start with where you are now. Okay. And uh, enjoying one of your passions. You didn't talk much about your orchids, but we'll go forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of your passions. Don't get me started on those orchids. I know, mm-hmm. I know. And um, I ask you to do something maybe a little unusual. It's going to require listeners to use their imagination. But I asked Denise to take us on an audio tour of the Museum of African American uh, Culture and History. And so I'm going to hand it off, dear. All right. Well, here I'm we coming go. through the door. You're, you're, well, you're not coming too far through the door because you're going to be stopped by the metal detector. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't know that uh, how many of your viewer, ha, your listeners have actually been to the museum, but I, I have to start by saying it is a marvelous, beautiful place. Yes. And I encourage everyone, uh, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, to get there uh, as soon as you can get tickets and as soon as you can. Um, as I said, the first st- stop will be the metal detectors uh, because it is a not only is it a federal facility, it is a facility with a great number of artifacts. Over 37,000 artifacts are in the museum currently, uh, and we some which are just absolutely priceless. So for many reasons, we ask people not to bring in or take out anything they <laughs> should not. Once you've uh, passed the uh, metal detector, Tyra, remember the beautiful, huge open hall? Yes. We yes. call that Heritage Hall. Okay. It's kind of our reception area. Yes. The beautiful artwork, and it's a place for people to meet and greet, and we give a brief overview of what's going to happen because it is a little different. The museum is 10 stories high. Yeah, but when, you, when you're standing there looking at it, you don't realize that because four stories are actually underground. Right, right, right. right. So I'm going to take my guests down this long, steep escalator describing the museum, describing the wonderful scroll work. Yeah. That is a tribute to African-American enslaved people from Charleston, North uh, New Orleans, mm-hmm. who actually prepared those beautiful bronze mm. uh, figures that you would see on the outside of the building. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. 400,000 square feet uh, in the museum. And by this time, we're down about to get into a very long line. Yes. <laughs> it is still a very long line. Yes, it is. Uh, to get into the most popular section of the museum, and that's the history gallery. It happens to be my favorite section, although I love walking through all of it. I just tend to spend most of my time downstairs in the history, the three floors of the history gallery. Now, You'll explain how the lighting is down there. Ah, uh, there is very little lighting. Yes. It's low. Yes. The ceilings are low compared to these uh, 
sky-sized ceilings we have throughout the rest of the museum. Right. And it's intended that way. Mm-hmm. It's intended to be low and dark to evoke in some very small measure what it must have felt like for Africans stolen from their villages and dragged to the coast to and placed in castles and forts and to wait for the slave ship to take them to places unknown. Yes. It was a dark time for them, so we've kept it dark and mm-hmm. low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it is uh, very popular, it is often very, very crowded. Mm-hmm. I will walk people through the history gallery, starting at the point where Africans and Europeans first began to interact with each other, not as slave and master, but as traders. Mm-hmm. They traded in gold and silk and uh, rice and mm-hmm. cotton and yams and a number of other items for centuries mm-hmm. before the slave trade began. Yes. So I will t- walk them through that. I will take them on a, a horrendous journey aboard a slave ship. We don't have a slave ship in the museum. Um, this is not uh, uh, the, where we're trying to replicate what it would be like on a slave ship, but I certainly spend some time standing there uh, talking to people about what it was like on a ship like that, where they might be on the ship for four to six weeks before they even made it to the New World. Yes. Through that, we'll go through the colonial America. We'll talk about the revolution. And we have a unique section uh, after the revolution called the Paradox of Liberty, where we spend time talking about all of the founding documents from the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. And I often turn to our visitors, especially if we have children, Yes. Younger people. And I'll say, what rights under this list of Bill of Rights did enslaved Africans have? Mm-hmm. Um, what do they say? Uh, they, I usually get some silence. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, well, let's cover what those Bill of Rights were. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the freedom of assembly, freedom of redress of grievances, freedom to bear arms, freedom of, uh, of association. Which ones of those did Af- enslaved Africans have? None. They were not considered citizens of the country. So we'd spend some time on that. I'd take them through what it was like perhaps to suffer the lash. We have a lash there. Uh, it was a gift to us from Miss Oprah Winfrey. Mm-hmm. We talk about cotton gin, cotton bags, and dragging up to 500 bags of cotton a day yes, to, yes. To, 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 to avoid the lash. Mm-hmm. And I'll take them through a slave block and buying mm-hmm. and selling mm-hmm. of slaves from young, young children to the very old. Mm-hmm on through Harriet Tubman, on up to the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And I will spend some time talking about the Civil War because it's obvious to me, based on conversations I've had, that people have very different understandings of what what the causes of the Civil War were. And I'd like, quite frankly, to set them straight. And I will do that to to the best of my ability. And we'll stop. I'll, I'll talk about Abraham Lincoln and his views. I'll talk about the brave African-American soldiers mm. who joined the Union, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll move on from there. Uh, the next level of the museum is the era of segregation. It talks about the next 100 years uh-huh. following the Civil War, following the end of slavery, mm-hmm. and African-Americans, uh, what I talk, uh, talk about, progress and pain. Because yes. even while they were having a great deal of progress moving away from slavery, starting businesses, starting mm-hmm, farms, mm-hmm. they were also the subject of great terror. Yes, the growth, yes. The growth of the Ku Klux Klan. Yes. Uh, at that level in the museum is another very, very popular and sacred place. And it's a place people often om- uh, overlook 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to describe right now how to get to the Emmett Till Memorial. Because I've had so many people say, well, where is it? I missed it. Well, it is at the very back in the far corner mm-hmm. behind the uh, Angola prison tower. Where they pushed it, where history has pushed it. Yeah, and they wanted it there simply because they wanted the Emmett Till Memorial to be a quiet, sacred Mm -hmm. place. It is the only place in the museum where no photography is allowed. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Because to tell this story properly and to properly uh, honor this young man and his mother, Mm -hmm. very brave woman, Mm -hmm. we uh, have set it in the back and... There's always long lines there, but I encourage people to go and st- stop and, and listen uh, to the story mm-hmm. uh, Mamie Till tells about what happened to her son, mm-hmm. the sacrificial lamb of the civil rights movement, as she called him. Mm-hmm. We also have a giant um, Southern Railway car. I know, yeah. I know. And uh, I love that car simply because it reminded me so much of my childhood. My father worked for Southern Railway for 43 years. So I spent many, many years on a car like that going across the country. Well, it's interesting that I actually went in and remembered Mother taking me to Grandmother's house from Cincinnati to South Carolina. There you go. And how, of course, the cars were segregated. Mm -hmm. But the uh, porters, mm, the bellmen would be there, and the Pullman Pullman porters porters. to help us, excuse me, to help us along the way. They did. And, and they they would do everything they could. I will say that my father was, in fact, a Pullman porter for the first three years he worked for Southern Railway until my mother said, yeah, she's had enough of him on the road. She wanted him to come home. You know, all the Pullman porters, their name, they were all called uh, George from George Pullman. Yes. Uh, the founder of the Pullman Yes, porter. yes. And they were all called George. My father's name was Ralph. But, <laughs> <laughs> but after he came off the road, he spent another 40 years on Southern Railway. Well, see, that was what people don't That's understand. A, that was a wonderful job. A wonderful job. My uncle wasn't. I mean, you could take care of your family. Yes. You could take care of your family's family. Yes. So that was a prize. Yes. That got was me, a prize. Got me through college. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so that it's, it's always so interesting to sit there and look at that train and remember from a young child that train would cross over the Ohio River. And all of a sudden, segregation ended. But not quite. But not quite. (laughs) But all of a sudden, we could sit anywhere we wanted. We weren't restricted to the car simply because we crossed the Ohio River. Mm -hmm. And the reverse, of of course, occurred coming back south. So the next and final level, what I didn't mention is there is a massive section uh, on the era of segregation level dealing with the civil rights movement and all of the heroes of of that movement. Heroes and sheroes. And sheroes. Thank you of that movement, mm-hmm. uh, Fannie Mae, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer and uh, Rosa Parks. I mean, mm-hmm. they're all there, mm-hmm. and I encourage people to come. And, of course, my personal hero, Congressman John Lewis, because had it not been for him, oh, no. we might not have had this museum. He, from eight, 1987, mm-hmm. his first year in Congress, mm-hmm. up until 2003, at the be- opening of Congress every single year, he actually introduced legislation yes. for this museum. Yes. So we are very, very thankful for his efforts and his leadership. And to still have him. And still, and he's, he's just wonderful. He was through there not too long ago. Mm-hmm. He likes to check out the place every now and then. <laughs> so, and then, of course, the last section in the history gallery is 1968 and beyond. Now, Tyra, you and I both remember 1968. Yes, yes, yes. 1968 was... A, I remember April 4th. I remember April 4th. Yes. Yes, April 4th, June 5th. Yeah. You remember so many horrible yes. things that happened on April 4th. I, I will tell my uh, guests walking through the museum, 
April 4th, to me, was April 4th, 1968, the day Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm -hmm. It was the day the world tilted. It did. It changed forever. And this section of the museum describes that quite well Mm -hmm. in that there are huge pictures and all different sorts of media. They look somewhat like picket signs, don't you think? Yeah, they do. They they were designed to evoke the picket signs of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And we have sections on one side that are more dealing with the more traditional uh, efforts Mm -hmm. of the followers of Dr. Mm -hmm. King. And, of course, on the other side of the room, Mm -hmm. you're going to see all sorts of information on the rise of black power. Yes, The rise of the Black Panthers, Mm -hmm. the Nation of Islam. Mm -hmm. And then toward the back, of course, there's also this change in culture that was happening oh so subtly. To many people, it was subtle, I guess. But to us, it was a major change in the TV culture, the movie culture. All of a sudden, we weren't seen just as... in, in certain lights, mm-hmm. we were expanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were spies. We were doctors. We were all other sorts of things than just being limited. I remember um, when I was little, and we had one TV. Yes, one and TV. And if we knew there was going to be someone of color on there, we'd mm-hmm. call everybody on the block. Hey, check this out at eight o'clock. You know, on Ed Sullivan's going to have so and so. Yeah, yeah. On our three channels. Yes. <laughs> So I guess the listening audience knows that we probably are somewhere around the boomer generation. Yes, dead that's center. Good. That's right. Dead center of the boomer generation. But we can relate. Yes, we can. We can remember all of that. Mm-hmm. So that is the history uh, gallery. Those That's 18,000 square feet. Takes about a, It's about a mile and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, if I get to talking, as you can tell now, it takes a couple of hours to get yeah, through it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just truly love giving tours of, of that section. And that's obvious. Yeah, I do. Well, it's, move it's us up. on up. Yeah, I'm moving us on up. So we're, we're going to, I probably want to just come up one level and uh, talk about two things mm-hmm. on the, what we call the concourse level. Now, that's the level where that huge line yes. snakes around to yes. go back down into the history yes. gallery. Uh, when you come out, there's something you have to stop and see. We call it the contemplative court. Mm-hmm. It is I don't know how to, it is a wonderful reflective space, Mm -hmm. a giant waterfall, circular waterfall coming Mm -hmm. out of the ceiling, Mm -hmm. surrounded by quotes by everyone from Sam Cooke to Dr. King. Mm -hmm. What's special about that space? It is a nice, soft, reflective space to which you can see outside through the ceiling. We call it the oculus because you can actually see the sky. And what was on, what was there? You know, it's up there at the top. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, that people can look down into that space. There's a bench that uh-huh. goes all the way around yes. the top of the circumference of the waterfall, and people can see in. Now, is that the place where they used to, the marks where we used to sell slaves in D.C.? Oh, well, yeah. This this area, remember, the museum is sitting on what's probably the last available piece of land on the mall in Washington, D.C. Got it. Five acres. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and that five acres, a little bit behind it, mm-hmm. actually, ironically enough, was in fact a tobacco plantation, and slaves were there running, uh, manning, working that plantation. Okay. And so, yeah, we go from the plantation to uh, owning the space. I understand. Uh, as we leave there, oh, well, I'm not going to leave there until we come back out of the contemplative court, mm-hmm. and you're going to make a left turn and stop it. Sweet Home Cafe. Oh, oh yes. 
Yeah. Yes. Uh, it is a miraculous, wonderful, tasty <laughs> spot to stop. It is, in fact, the one cafeteria, the one cafe in the museum. And it's a history lesson in itself. Yes, it is. Because there, it talks about the four major regions, you know, the north and the west and the south, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that um, where African Americans have had a great role influence in the culinary mm-hmm. efforts of those different regions. Mm-hmm. I, I, is, yes, I do love the uh, shrimp and grits, <laughs> and I do love the fried chicken. But I have to admit, I like the oxtails from the northwest, from the uh, Midwest, and I love the trout from the west. So, yeah, there's food from all different sections. And then when you go and sit down, you'll look around and see pictures and stories you know, everything from our four young men from Greensboro who sat at the lunch counter mm-hmm. to all the stories about the culinary arts. So I encourage everybody to please stop there and and stop and stop when you're hungry because mm-hmm. there's going to be plenty of food to eat there. Absolutely. So then we're going to go up to the next uh, Have we passed level. the theater yet? Oh, dear. Bless your heart. I, oh yes, we're about to pass the theater, but thank <laughs> you for stopping me. Uh, coming back out of the cafeteria, we have the Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey Theater. Uh, I'm hoping one day they'll actually put gla- a glass door so people can actually look in mm-hmm. because it, it's closed uh, unless it's being used for um, special events. Mm-hmm. It's not open to the public most of the time. Mm-hmm. But it is a beautiful space where they've actually replicated the iron work on the outside of the building mm-hmm. on the walls inside. It's a huge stage. So I'm sure over time there's going to be all sorts of musicals. And, yes. And, and there, there have, have already been many uh, readings and mm-hmm. book signings and that sort of thing. What's there now? Um, right now, there's uh, I don't know that anything that's going on right at okay. this moment, but there's always something. Okay. But th- th- it's usually not like day in and day out. It's okay. One night. Special event. event. Special event. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, ca- pay attention to our website. Always go on our website and see what's happening because there's always something going on. Uh, you know we're going to celebrate. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know we're going to celebrate our one-year anniversary on September 24th. No, I didn't, we've but been, thank you very much. We've been open. We'll be, we will have been open one year on September 24th. And last I heard when I was there the other day, we've just passed the 2.5 million visitor mark in one year. Oh, my. Yeah. Congratulations. So we're very, we're very yes, proud of that. We're yes. very proud of that. So, okay, I'm uh, up. We're going up. Going up. Uh, the next two and a half levels, we have a level called uh, Explore More, and it is a rather open area. I often tell the, the people with their very young children, if they need to run around and blow off a little steam, this is the spot. Mm-hmm. We actually have a place where they can stand and, and learn Step Africa steps. Yes, yes. Uh, that's a lot of fun. And But behind it is a very unique uh, story of the Green Book. Yeah, the green book was what we book. needed to get yeah, through it. What we needed to get from the south north, to the yeah. north, or north to the south safely. Mm-hmm. Where places to stay, places to eat, uh, places to buy gas, places to oh, use the restroom, bathroom, all yeah. of that. Yeah. So, and there's a little car there where you can sit there, and it's like you're taking this trip to Grandma. And it's mm-hmm. a wonderful, wonderful experience. Up on the next level is our community level, and in community, we have uh, the sports section on one side. Military on the other, and in the center and toward the back, all about community activism. I encourage everyone to please stop at the uh, military section. Oh, yes. You know, it's phenomenal. African Americans have fought in every single war mm-hmm. since the revolution in mm-hmm. this country. Mm-hmm. And this shows each and every 
conflict in which we have been engaged. And but the special, the plane, the Tuskegee Airmen. But most importantly, I'm, I'll get to that. But okay. most importantly, I was going to talk about his medals first. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Most importantly, we have a wall at the side of the uh, military that has that lists the 87 African Americans who won the Medal of Honor. So, oh, and that is, yes, me, I forgot. Yeah, to me, that is a very special, special place. 87. 87 from the Civil War yes. on up to uh, Vietnam. That's where we've stopped it so far. But we do have some blank space on the wall, so I'm sure that there will be. A hopefully. Yeah, or hopefully not. The uh, I was going to mention uh, one of our Tuskegee Airmen. I had the privilege yes. of bringing uh, this family through. I, I won't mention their name. But I had the privilege of bringing them through. There was a family of 50 descendants of this one particular, family members and descendants of this one particular Tuskegee Airman who recently passed away. Uh-huh. They ranged in age from 101 to six months. Oh, my goodness. And it was such a wonderful joy to first show them the Tuskegee plane. It was, it's a Tuskegee uh, training plane that we have hanging from the ceiling and to show some of the medals that they're uh, – family member had achieved the next level up is our culture level oh my goodness yes you hear the music theme and you see people and dancing you see people dancing on they're, they're all the way around the walls and there's just the media the yes. multimedia just changes each level you go up it's right? amazing so you're going to see everything there from the sculpture the nigerian king sculpture that has the headpiece that is evokes the uh description and shape of the building yes and on the one side we have art on the other side we have taking the stage stage screen and television and straight back music and you can hear it from the from throughout the museum uh, throughout that floor in fact but the first thing you see as you walk through is mr chuck berry's ruby red cadillac yes you do yeah i just love that and we have everything in there from a reproduction of an old radio uh Re- not not radio, excuse me, uh, record store yes. where you could stand in. Remember how we used to go and flip through the albums and, and yeah. look at the albums? And at the other end of that same room, we have the place where the youngsters can go through and scratch records and yeah. pretend like they're mixing and all that. It's just wonderful. So I'm encouraging everybody. I have given you a very quick overview. You know why? I haven't told you all the things I want you to see because I want you to be amazed when you come in. And it is amazing. And what... What I have found truly marvelous every time I've gone is the diversity of the visitors. Yes, yes. And yes. I'm a people watcher, and I think maybe the second time I really start looking at how people were responding yes. because the lower levels is a visceral experience, yeah. you know, and it can evoke anger, appreciation, amazement. Um, a deep, deep sadness. Oh, That's what yes. I've encountered many times. I keep a, a, a wad of Kleenex yes. uh, in my bag because yes. I'm passing them out because it, it just it impacts people a lot. And I'm guessing that anybody listening would know who would, which generation would gravitate to which exhibit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think oh, so. there's, no, there's no doubt. Now, the, while the veterans might want to go to military, they'll also want to go down to history. Oh, yeah. The, the teens... You know, if you ask them, they're heading straight for music. Mm-hmm. But you know what I found? What? The teens with their, because they're on a tour, because you're a school group or a family, yeah. and they've been told they've got to go to history first, they've been very respectful. Oh, they good. Have, they have been very quiet. I can see their eyes shining 
they're growing as if to say, what is this? What happened? How did this happen? Because we know this is not being taught in our schools as it should yeah, be. Yeah, and what I'm wondering, um, Denise, as we sit here, are there collaborations with schools, yes. with school districts yes. now to yes. incorporate this? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, there are many different collaborations we're okay. having with the schools. Okay. Um, schools have come and asked us to make presentations. They've asked the, the professional curators. Remember, I'm a volunteer, but they've asked professional curators to mm-hmm. come and make presentations. Um, there, we have many things out on the website, mm-hmm. particularly for schools. Mm-hmm. And we're encouraging uh, school systems to bring their children, uh, bring them on field trips. Mm-hmm. I understand that there's been an educational group that's been convened, both of volunteers and professional staff. They're working together to start giving more advice and guidance to the um, uh, different school groups. So there's a, there's a lot of that that's growing. Well, what I want to do is take a break. Sure. And I want to come back because you have an assignment. You haven't executed yet. Mm -hmm. Okay? All right. Denise, there's something that is very critical to um, our show today, and that's for people to understand you just didn't pop into the museum and suddenly become a docent. Tell us what it was like during your year of training. It was one of the greatest experiences I've had uh, in my life. I think I told you, Tyra, that my plan was to work in that museum no matter what. All I had to do was retire first, Mm -hmm. and I managed to uh, plan my retirement such that I retired a couple of years before the uh, museum started taking applications. Mm -hmm. So I I applied, and I was accepted, and uh, then January of 2016, 2016, the training started. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in training uh, every week. We had books and books and books. It felt like a graduate course. I loved every minute. I soaked it up. Uh, people ask me now, they said, well, how long were you in training? I want to say one year and 40 years. <laughs> what? Well, I was in training for the museum uh, docent work for a year, but I've been in training for this work for the past 40 ever since I graduated with yeah. my degree in history. I just love it. I, I, I went to law school. I did what I had to do. It was a great career for me, but my first love was always history. So, yes, I spent a year. We talked about um, everything uh, from the beginning of slavery all the way up to uh, the inauguration of Barack Obama. And that's kind of how the, if you think about it, that's kind of how the History Museum is laid, yeah. the galleries are laid out. Yeah. So, yeah, we had training. We had uh, professors come in. We had practice sessions. Yeah, it was. Did it you was have fairly, tests? Fairly, oh, did we have tests? Thank you. I, I think <laughs> I think I suppressed the tests. Those, those tests were something. They were uh, usually online, mm-hmm. and um, uh, they were quite intense. And they were very um, uh, concentrated bits of information we were expected to retain. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm happy to to say that I passed <laughs> uh, with flying colors and have just enjoyed every minute of it. And after the training, in fact, and after we spent some time, as you will recall, practicing, walking through the museum, talking to myself, yes, trying to learn all the bits of the museum. I can actually literally walk through this museum, as I just did, mm-hmm. uh, blindfold, and can tell you just about where every artifact is. That is point. amazing. I have to be able to do that, right? Yeah. So I would do that, and, um, uh, and recently we had certifications, had certification uh, tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to stand in front of a group of people and give a bit of a tour and talk and answer questions 
so we passed our certification. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been a wonderful I remember when um, you were at the point where you said, oh, I need to do a 40-minute tour. And I'm going, how yes. can you do a 40-minute yes. tour? You said, I don't know. I guess I'll just pick five things and talk about it. I said, not you. That's but exactly you right. That's exactly. Well, I, I picked my five things, and I did my 40-minute tours because that was what was expected. But don't expect to spend just 40 minutes with me and the history guy. I could promise you that. I know. <laughs> but you know what? What you know? We were talking. The theme is saying yes to the power within you, yes. and we know that Maya said yes, and I hear Denise saying yes. And what's interesting to me, and I want to say to anyone listening, it's never over. Every day you wake up, you have a chance to be more than who you've become. Exactly. And to see your face sitting across from me mm-hmm. as you talk about this, I feel the passion. I love it. Yes. And I'm so proud of you. As Thank we you. close out the museum, tell me about one special, I don't know, you pick it, something special, uh, someone oh, you met oh, or oh, anything. A oh, oh, oh. Um, couple of, well, I, I, I'm stuck with one, huh? See, that's like 40 minutes. Okay. I'm stuck with one. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to, it's not a person I met, but it's one item I did not talk about. Okay. And I'm not sure how long it's going to be there. I'm hoping it's going to be there for a while longer. There is a phenomenal video there at toward the entrance of the museum uh-huh. called August 28th. Yes. A Day in the Life of a People. Yes. By Ava DuVernay. Yes. You know, award-winning filmmaker. And it describes six different instances of phenomenal things that happened to African Americans throughout our history on August 28th, mm-hmm. ranging from the date the British freed the enslaved population of Britain and its colonies, August 28th, mm-hmm. to the March on Washington, August 28th, to the death of m- the murder of Emmett Till, August 28th, and some others. Beautifully enacted. Did you say Katrina? I didn't say Katrina, bless your heart. No, I d- and Katrina, August 28th. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, there's a couple more beyond that. Wow. And it just it just tells the story. And I've, I've seen people just sitting there drenched in tears yeah. at the thought, how can this be? What is it about this day? Yes. Um, and so I encourage people, if, if you get there, ask yourself, or ask, do I want to see this? Can I? Do I have time to see this? And ask the uh, wel- welcome desk to point it out to you so you can get there and spend about 20, 25 minutes watching that phenomenal video. So if um, I had to choose one thing, that would be it. That is wonderful. Now, Denise, um, thank you. You are awesome. You're welcome. I enjoyed my tour. (laughs) And now you have to do your assignment. I ask every guest to write a letter to her younger self based on who she is today. So I'm going to ask Ms. Denise to do that for us now. All right. Dear young Denise, I have struggled to write this letter to you, and even now I have no idea how it will end. I don't think I have a lot of advice to share with you, my younger self. Frankly, I think you did well with what you had and what was laid out before you. You had a mom and dad who adored you and gave you all they could. They supported you in your wild dreams. One day you wanted to be a scientist and an old microscope managed to appear. When you wanted to take baton lessons, a private teacher in a segregated dance school was somehow convinced to take you on for lessons. Your love of writing never wavered, so paper and pencils were always available. You spent whole weekends watching minor league games with your parents (laughs) not far from our house, the beginning of a lifelong love of baseball. 
Your father taught you what hard work and sacrifice meant as he headed out walking every night wearing workman's rags to the railroad yard six miles away. And then he would return home, change into his Sunday best, and attend your band concert early the next morning. Your mother taught you about family devotion when she didn't leave the house once for over five years to care for dad's older brother with Alzheimer's and Aunt Letitia, the family matriarch who could not leave her bed. I learned a lot about family from the two of them as well. Your life was not perfect, and you and I know what that means, but you had love in that house. Your parents taught you to love God, but they also taught you to think for yourself. When you found yourself walking into an all-white school that warm day in September 1963, your parents walked on either side of you, showing a level of strength and determination you tried to mimic. My dear, you have made some mistakes, but they were of your own making, no one else's. You have had some successes, and they were the result of your hard work and determination, as well as the result of those strong ancestral shoulders upon which you stood. Your biggest dilemma was whether to go to law school or pursue a PhD in history. As it turned out, you did not love the law as much as you loved history. But if you had made any other choice, you would not have had the wonderful husband and children you have today. A nice trade-off, I think. Ironically, you might not be able to serve as a docent at the National Museum of African American History and Culture because you would still be teaching history at some university. Or you might be working in some law firm doing the work you did not enjoy. Young self, you did all right. You made mistakes and you had some wonderful successes. Most importantly, you had and still have a glorious family who loves you. All things considered, my dear, I am proud of my younger self. Love, old Denise. One correction, seasoned Denise. Seasoned Denise. With many gifts to continue giving. Now, I owe our audience a huge apology. I said we were going to hear from three women, three generations, and I got caught up in the tour. So I owe you, and I promise to pay the debt of our third phenomenal woman. Now, all phenomenal women at the table have had a chance to feel empowered and encouraged by Ms. Denise Fain and Maya Angelou. I uh, really look forward to our time together, every opportunity we have. I want to allow the theme song to play in a different version. Mr. Tony Walker is going to take us out on piano. Let me remind you, this is your spiritual doggy bag. Just in case you get to that point where you're tired of being tired and you're angry, you're lonely, you don't understand, you don't remember, and you're asking yourself, is this all there is? Well, guess what? You need to understand you are not alone. You are so worthy. You have everything inside of you. You need to be the woman that you were created to be. Nothing that's happened to you, the good, the bad, the scary, will ever be wasted. Refuse to be refused. Please understand, I'm here for you, and I'm listening. I look forward to our getting together, same time, same place, next week. Your seat is guaranteed. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. Tell me how we're doing. 
Email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Be well. Take good care.